It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. How do we introduce this? Last week it just started. Oh, yeah. So it's Wednesday evening. Yes, it's it's only been a couple of days since we last talked. A few a few days, I think. <laughs> okay, okay. I mean, you no need to get pedantic about it. Well, otherwise, a couple of days sounds like we're sort of cheating the listeners, and we're sort of recording like two in a week and All right, well, backing it's, them up. It's been stacking them up. It's been three days. When we arranged this date, I wasn't quite aware it was going to be the day of the. Well, I was I was aware of the day of the autumn statement, but um, it's the autumn statement. Yes. How was that for you? Were you there? I was there. I've got so much to say about this. Oh, come on then. Okay. So I have to like, I'm slightly sort of overflowing with anecdotary, actually. So I will come to back to the uh, Jeremy Hunt one. But so I sat in the front room somewhere in 1996, 27 years ago. I thought it was 17 years ago when I was thinking about this on Tuesday. And I realized it was 27 years ago for Ken Clark last budget uh-huh. and uh, it leaked the night before to the Daily Mirror. The whole of the budget leaked the night before. Not oh, wow. a part of it, but the whole of it leaked. And um, I've talked to, uh, to Nick McPherson, who was a permanent secretary at the Treasury, and but was at this point the sort of main civil servant in his private, running his private office to Ken Clark. And basically... This is an incredible Ken Clark story. So the, the budget leaks. It's five or six o'clock. Everybody in the Treasury goes absolutely nuts. They get a call from the Daily Mirror saying, we've got the whole budget. Everybody in the Treasury is beside themselves. This is like the whole thing leaking. Lawyers, people running around, etc. Ken Clark, I'm off to Gandhi's, the Indian restaurant. You guys sort it out. <laughs> <laughs> and it was sorted out. I mean... No mobile phone. Absolutely no problem with delegation. I'm off to Gandhi's. You guys sort it out. <laughs> and it's just, just the, the, you know, the guy, he's, just, he's got a certain sort of, I don't know, I'm not sure that would have been Gordon's reaction or mine <laughs> for, that, for that matter. Well, I enjoyed that a lot. And I always enjoy when you reveal yourself as the uh, Mike Yarwood of Westminster. But I remember sitting with the, the late Philip Gould, you know, Philip Gould, who was Tony Blair's, well, pollster strategist. Uh, and we, Philip and I used to <laughs> used to drive sometimes in my car to different places in London to go do these focus groups. And I would go from Gordon's office, and obviously Philip was there <laughs> from Tony's office. I think I remember once 
by a car, which is a very old car, stopped in the middle of the North Circular or something and green slime started coming. It wasn't that day. Green slime started coming out of it. And Philip was like, okay, I'll see you later, alligator. Uh, anyway, anyway, we made, and it wasn't the green slime day, uh, but there we were. And I think it was just, we wanted real, Philip wanted real time sort of response oh, to the budget. Man. But it was totally artificial because who sits there and watches them just a budget speech? Well, no, so, so I didn't know that you'd been along to focus groups. Is oh, that, yeah. Is that I a weird had. experience? So are you behind, um, behind the no, one, no, one-way no, mirror? No. In, in those days, there was no one-way mirrors, two-way mirrors, one-way mirrors. You'd basically just be with somebody's front room and Philip used to say, and hello, I'm Philip, and I do these for a living around the country and around the world and... And he'd go around and talk to people. It's very, it was, it was actually very good at putting, putting people at their ease. I always think the flaw with focus groups, though, is that they're not in, indicative of what people think. They're indicative of what the type of person who would be in a focus group thinks. Uh, because most people have never been in a focus group and probably wouldn't do it for the 30 quid Marks and Spencer's gift voucher and slice of pizza that they get. I'm not sure there was a 30 quid well, whatever. So, so, it's, so it's a self-selecting group of people anyway. Yeah, okay, well, that's true. And then I always think if I was on a jury and there was somebody like with a real alpha, loud personality saying a bunch of stuff that I disagreed with, I'd just shrink into myself because I want to avoid confrontation. And I wonder if that's a flaw of focus groups as well. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, don't, I, could, I, I don't think... I think they that the problem is if you set your compass by them, it's not right. But if you use it as a as one aspect of public opinion, they can get you something. But I sort of anyway, anyway, it's just that's that's where I was. Were you like in a, a shadow treasury task force then? Well, I was waiting for Gordon. Yeah, so you, you're watching the budget and yeah, I'm trying to remember now whether it's a false memory syndrome, whether we actually watch the news about the budget, or whether we watch the budget I, because did we really make Steve people sit through an hour? I mean, of of like, you know, dirge. I think I can't well, maybe we did. I think we might well have done actually. But I mean Philip was a really fun person to go to these things with. You can think of no one more fun of, to watch the budget with. So there, then there was Gordon's first budget, which was July nineteen ninety seven. What do um, you remember about that? I tell you what I remember about that, the thing I remember most of all is there was a very strange institution which I think may still exist called and this obviously was an autumn statement on thing, called the the Chancellor's Budget Broadcast. And it was this absolute nightmare doing this with the BBC because basically you were, there was a rule that you were only allowed four graphics or something, um, and it was all unbelievably complicated. And 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 it was always the BBC's basic view was it needed to be as boring as possible. So, so was, it, was think, it like a party political broadcast? Yes, but where, it's just well, sort of an, like an, an upsum, an upsum of an the address budget. to the nation. I don't know, maybe it still exists. Um, I don't know whether it still exists. And the BBC hated it, and I think wanted to get rid of it. Um, and we decided that the easiest thing to do was rather than make Gordon do it after the budget, we'd do it before the budget. Um, and so he began this broadcast by saying, when I walked, because he decided to walk, uh, when I walked from the Treasury to deliver this budget, it wasn't with the battered, I can always remember the words, wasn't with the battered old red box of the past. It was with an, a, a red box made by apprentices think possibly in his constituency so all oh, was all very nice so one slightly unfortunate thing happened though which is after he recorded the broadcast for reasons that i can't remember whether it's with the weather or security he decided not to walk but he got in a car 
I thought nothing of this until I suddenly realised after he'd set down the budget, oh dear, we're about to broadcast that he walked from the thing. And so basically I was like, right at the BBC and I said, look, I'm really sorry, but we're going to have to cut that beginning. And they were like, well, it's too late. You can't do that. I said, no, honestly, <laughs> we're definitely going to have to change the beginning. And I think we did. I think we managed to sort of cut out the sentence about him having walked. So that is the main thing I remember about that budget. I mean, it was obviously a big deal. The Labour Chancellor hadn't delivered a budget for 18 years or something. Um, so then anyway, I remember that. And then I, obviously I remember all the fiscal events after that, that I were with Gordon. The first year you were in the Treasury, did you all have your photo taken with the red box? The one made by the apprentices. Uh because Possibly. now in an age of camera phones, everybody in that office would be I posing know. for a funny picture with I it. Know, and I know, I bet it's... there is no picture of 27-year-old you holding up that red box. No, I think there are. I think Ed Ball's got some pictures taken at one point. But, I mean, it was like a thing to get pictures taken. Mm. I mean, I should have, oh, you mean today I would have done a selfie with Gordon? Yeah, whereas somebody would have had to think to bring a camera in. Or you'd have to do a Rishi Sunak and have a photographer taking I mean, stage the shots. The thing I remember most of all, Gordon was used to obsessively write all of his words of these budget speeches i mean i I think to be fair maybe other all chancellors do but he was just he cared a lot about the words uh a people's budget i think he called it a people's budget for britain's future um did anything of yours make it into that first budget it was a team effort but (laughs) what do you mean of mine i don't know you know like uh um the, for for example, independence of the Bank of England was completely down to Ed Balls. It was entirely him, from what I understand. Was was there anything like that of yours? I can't really remember. I, I, if I'm honest, I don't remember that much about the first budget. I remember we put money into health and education. That's the main thing that I remember. What have you noticed over your career about, like, is there a type of person who keeps a diary versus a type that doesn't? See, like a, t- a Tony Benn or an Alistair Campbell, or they, they keep I these wish very. I kept a diary, but it's I a know. personality type, isn't it? You're either a diarist or you're not. Nobody I'm not start, sure, starts you know. one like that at the age of fifty-six, do they? For example, I'm not fifty-six. I was actually. just looking an age out yeah. there. I know you know when. Why that. not use my actual age? <laughs> I can't remember how old you are. Okay, fifty-three. 53. But fifty-three. But I mean, you know, <laughs> you can sort of. Yeah. Anyway. Uh... Yeah, I'm still sort of reeling, really. Um, I mean, honestly, I'm sadly... Anyway, the thing I noticed about the hunt thing, we'll go on to the Baltics in a second, we used to... I was quite shocked about this. We wouldn't. We were very careful not... And this one, I know it wasn't a budget, it was an autumn statement, but we did not do explicit party politics in the speech because the speech was sort of a treasury production. Mm. And that's all gone out of the window. And basically, there's quite a lot that's gone out of the window. The first budget that Gordon delivered, he appeared in the Financial Times as going to be a five-year deficit reduction plan. This was so shocking that this was in the newspapers that an emergency question was asked, and that was in the days when these emergency questions were not granted before the budget. Right. Peter Lilly, who was the Shadow Chancellor, got an emergency question. I mean, your budget is sort of leaked. And, you know, Hugh Dalton famously resigned because he told somebody going into the budget that beer would go up or down or something and it appeared in the evening standard i'm not even sure it appeared before he delivered it but i mean now it's like it's all and the second thing i was going to say is that i've nearly noticed with hunt that he used it to attack the labor party the idea that you'd have had a a a sort of we used to have to say this thing which is i've had he'd say gordon would say i've had representations from uh and he'd sort of say a tory policy but you could never say something specifically about his opponents or at least we thought you couldn't 
So that was that was that wasn't just because you were this new government that had come in on a landslide. That was the precedent, even leading yeah, up yeah, to ninety-seven. Yeah, they didn't use the financial statement to explicitly talk about your opponents. You could all, you could sort of implicitly talk about them. And did that change during the Labour years, or is that something well, that's? Well, I just think maybe it's just the convention. I just think a lot of these conventions have gone out. And of the what window. about this pre-briefing stuff? Because. I, I don't feel a compulsion to watch the autumn statement. Or you the know it all like, yeah, because it's always all, been like you almost know, all of it. Yeah, because yeah. um, I miss that. I miss it being like an Apple event where Steve Jobs would say, "Oh, and just one more thing." Those those things always felt like a magician revealing. The thing is, though, it's all sort of slight. You know, as I'm saying this, I sort of feel slightly like an old fogey because who cares about all of that, really? Well, when when did it even start being an autumn statement and a budget? Because well, that was our fault because we introduced. Uh... Well, then, no, no, actually, there was an autumn statement before, but then we introduced something called the pre-budget report and the budget. The autumn statement was the spending once a year spending, and the budget was the tax measures. Clark integrated the two of them into a unified budget and spending review. We then introduced a three-year spending review, which sort of slightly con- sort of confused the picture in some ways, and a pre-budget report which was foreshadowing the budget. Then they got rid of the pre-budget report, and then they sort of brought it back. I mean, it, yeah, it's two fiscal events a year. By law... It's the children I feel sorry for, because I used to hate that day when the children's programmes would be shunted onto BBC Two. It was probably your favourite day of the year as a kid. <laughs> I've told you that my first political memory is play school being cancelled was Harold Wilson resigned. Yes, you, yeah. you, yes, you have you have told me that, yeah. But anyway, I, I don't quite know how many of these I've been to, but I've been to quite a lot. And I had to respond to a whole number of them, actually. Osborne's. And when you're doing that, you've had the numbers for how long? Day before? You don't get anything. No, no, you don't get anything. Well, you have to. You genuinely have to do it on the hoof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do have to on the do on the hoof. So, do you game all the possibilities? Yes, you do. And Rachel Reeves, who replied to the autumn statement business normal budget, did incredibly well for us. I'd imagine that would be nerve wracking, but I imagine that would be not one of your worst things to have to do in Parliament. I, th- I think you're quite fleet of foot in that. You're quite good like that, right? Sometimes they went better, and sometimes they went worse. I mean, it's sort of. I feel, if I'm absolutely honest, that even in the time I've been there, since I was leader of Parliament, people pay less attention to Parliament than they did, even on a day like the budget. I mean, okay, they pay attention to the speech, mm. and they pay attention to Rachel's reply, but I'm very struck when I do... So I recently did the King's Speech debate. Now, okay, it was the Thursday, but Parliament just is less... Ju- I think it's, it's odd, because there was 24-hour news when I was leader and all of that, but Parliament just mattered more. Yeah, but but, but there was twenty four hour news. But what there wasn't was social the same, media. Yeah, social media, and I think people are just happy to get the the bullet points on social media, so they don't sit through watching Parliament in the same way. So the kind of theatrics of the debate don't matter as much as they used to. The theatrics, re- you know, I'm sort of it's it's interesting that I am from the sort of maybe I'm the sort of bridge to the Gordon. Tony generation who took parliamentary speeches incredibly seriously. Mm. Well, that shows that shows, but, but, you that know, shows when you not make on a the speech. Bu- well, but but did you not think it's that if you did a good job of a speech in Parliament, it would be an unbroken way of speaking almost directly to the public, rather than if you go on Newsnight and you can't get a sentence out. But I'm not sure. Even when I, even in the last twenty years, an unbroken speech, a speech in Parliament got that much. I don't know. I wonder if it's what's happened is that politicians have sort of adapted to the reality that there was a sort of generation of politicians who, for whom Parliament 
had mattered. I, I don't know. I don't it's, know. It it's, inter- it's interesting how many mum. It's interesting how much the public can perceive the House of Commons as the job. Yes, you know, there, yes, there could yes. be outrage if they I think um, that's changed. see an empty chamber. Uh, I think that's diff- well. I don't know. I, th- I think a, a grasp of what politicians are doing all day still eludes a lot of people. When in actual fact, it's not the substance of your job, is it? I also find it's quite weird. I mean, maybe I maybe this is me, but I have these kind of. I just can remember quite a lot of the House of Commons speeches that I've seen by Gordon, by Tony, by sort of others, and you just sort of do have a kind of memory bank of these things. Uh, like, I what did remember what Blair did one on Europe, and of course Major Europe was nightmare for Major, and I remember him doing it, I remember it was just, it was superb, because he had these five different questions for Major about whether he agreed with different people, and the last one was, does he agree with himself? Because <laughs> uh, it was like a thing that Major had said quite relatively recently, and I remember it was just some absolutely devastating um, you know, I'm sounding very fogeyish. But do you think there are MPs who are maybe the most recent intake who have that feeling about speeches they've heard in the past three or four years? Less, I think. I mean, obviously, the pandemic was, you know, meant it was a very socially distanced parliament mm. and all of that. But I think it's just, a, I think it's a sort of secular trend. I think making an argument in parliament does still matter. Have you ever had your mind changed on anything? By a well-constructed argument in Parliament. What from the from someone? Yeah, I'm sure. Have Have you ever been sat there holding one position in your brain, and then you? I don't heard think it's somebody... quite well. That no, I think it's not that. But I think you hear other arguments people make, and you think, well, that's a really good argument. I will add that to the arguments I make, or I'll add it to the arguments I need to answer. Right. I think it's more that. I don't think you'd sort of then go in and just sort of completely change your mind. But then it is theatrics. Sorry to sound inflexible. No, no, but, but, but then it... No, but it's making a case, I think. But to whom? People who've already made their minds up. Like, there's no jury to be persuaded. Mm. So, to some extent... Well, the jury is partly your own side and partly... But you've just said that you've never had your mind changed by an, by an argument. But I mean... Well, this is Jeremy Paxman or something. <laughs> but are you tough enough, Ed? Right, I think we should move on. To what extent did you think this autumn statement was a Tory party in, in its death throes, making things difficult for an incoming, for a, a likely incoming Labour government? I mean, I tell you, the two things that struck me was one, it was trying to pretend something, which I think people won't be fooled by. So you can't go and say, you know taxes are falling isn't it great and then it turns out the tax burden's like rising and and i think that would even as we speak on wednesday night that's been sort of found out and secondly i personally think it was quite a mistake because i think it looks very tin-eared and out of touch to say the country's turning the corner when your own office of budget or the budget office of budget responsibility says we're having the worst fall in living standards since records began this year i mean What's that feel like to be, and tomorrow morning we're expecting the energy price cap, it's going to likely to go up, you know, for January. I just think it looks, so I genuinely think it looks just incredibly out of touch. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind 
When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. So what have you got for our chatteroo? What are you thinking about? Well, I'll tell you what I'm thinking about. Um, Go on. My wife is an American, and it is Thanksgiving uh-huh. this week. In fact, Thanksgiving tomorrow is... Re- in we- God we trust. In God we trust. Yeah, that's, that's not Thanksgiving, that's Halloween. Get on board with the gourd. How are the gourds? The gourds are still forming a display on the outside oh of goodness. our house. Is there um, mould, yeah, on the gourds? I, I would say some of the squashes and pumpkins are starting to rot. Now's the time to eat them. Maybe it's time to compost them. Um, but... I was reading about Joe Biden. You know that tradition of pardoning the turkey? Yes. That ancient tradition? Yes. Do you know how ancient it is? 100 years. 1947. Hmm. Well, wasn't that far away. Do you think that's an odd point in history to have begun this tradition? It does seem very odd. Like, in Europe, you, you've got the birth of welfare states and the NHS here in the wake of the Second World War. In the United States, which is... Yeah, become very rich at that point in history. Their big signature move is pardoning a turkey. Are you a turkey? Oh, you know, I know you don't. What's your, what's your vegetarian choice? And well, I, I like you know, I like any kind of nut roasty, anything with a lot of starch and carbohydrates in it. Um, but the the two turkeys this year were called Liberty and Bell, right? And um, there was a bit of a faux pas on Biden's behalf because he he tried to drop in a pop culture reference. Oh, yes, I did. Ended up confusing uh, Taylor Britney Swift Spears and, and Britney Spears. Spears. Yeah, he, he made a, a, a quip saying um, the two turkeys had to work hard and show patience and be willing to travel over a thousand miles. You could say it's even harder than getting a ticket to the Renaissance tour or Britney's tour. Then he starts kind of, um, of having one of his episodes. Right. <laughs> it doesn't make much sense. But um, I find it I find it a very strange tradition that. It's a bit like Barabbas. It's in the Bible that you're looking at me blankly. Yeah. Yeah, Pontius Pilate saying, who should we free? Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought Barabbas might be some pop culture reference to the 1990s that I was too busy working with with Gordon Brown on budgets. (laughs) And with Philip Gould in a focus group. He's supporting Taylor Swift on her current tour. Exactly. But I I think it's a really strange tradition to have, have a head of state choose which turkey lives and which turkey dies live on television. I thought he pardoned both of them. Well, that... I don't think he says, I'm going to kill one of them. Well, that's the idea, isn't it? No, 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 you pardon both of them. You're saying it's not a binary choice. Well, I think in this case, he surely he pardoned both turkeys. Then he has no that... respect for this ancient tradition, then. Well, hang on a minute. No, he's just showing that he's sort of so generous that he's told pardoning two turkeys. Oh, my goodness. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer pardons a turkey named Dolly Parton. Oh, so is this happening on a on a state? Well, a, clearly on a state by state level as well. 
The check was then Dolly Pardon, thanks to a statewide contest that received more than 3,900 entries. It's... I mean, this is like Parks and Recreation. Dolly is the second turkey pardoned by Whitmer since she took office. Last year, she pardoned a turkey named Mitch E. Gander. So if you want your turkey pardoned, the, the trick is you've got to give it a name, a novelty name. <laughs> I think it might happen in a different order than that, presumably. They pick out the turkey, then they give it the name. But isn't it bad for... <laughs> I mean, it's not like there's lots of turkeys with different names all around the country, is it? <laughs> you seem very sure I of think that. I think you're missing the point here. Is this bad news for the turkey farmer? So Liberty along with Bell. So they were both pardoned. Okay. This, this, is, this comes after chocolate alongside chip in 2022, thanks to Wikipedia, peanut butter and jelly in 2021. Ah, I'm, I'm now understanding. So I thought he parades two turkeys before the public oh, and no. picks on one to I am pardon. Now really, I'm really confused. I'm really confused. Because the Trump turkeys also all seem to be alive, but then it also says that it's just really confusing. There's conflicting reports on the turkeys of 2017. I mean, it's just really... What's that? Conflicting reports and oh, confusion alter- during the Trump presidency? Al- alternate, alternate turkey. Why can't he just forgive all turkeys? Well, there you go. We don't have any traditions like that. No, we don't. We don't. Um, I do think it's weird that that is a tradition invented in living memory, though. It's not in my memory. <laughs> Well, you mean it'd be better if it was a tradition like 150 years ago? Yeah, do you not think that just generally about traditions? If they date back from hundreds of years ago, you just think, oh, there's some tradition that weird people from the olden days came up with and we honour it for whatever reason. Whereas it just feels like somebody trying to get a tradition going, like trying to make it happen. I mean, look, guys, you can do a PhD on this. Was, was the it... origins of the origins of turkey pardoning by Jeffrey Lloyd, Doctor Jeffrey Lloyd. So. So how did it go in 1947? Does Harry Truman... Oh, I don't know, honestly. Does, does Harry Truman take to the airwaves, maybe the radio airwaves, maybe the TV, and say, my fellow Americans... Yes. I am implementing a new tradition in our fine nation. Every year, I and my successors will choose a turkey to be pardoned from death on Thanksgiving. We're going to make this part of our national identity. We're going to take time of our, out of our legislative programme to pardon a turkey. And everyone just gets on board with it straight away. Well, okay, you, uh, you've brief history, right? Yeah. Okay, I'm really sorry, but it was goes back to 1863. Oh, well, then it's fine then. The tradition technically goes back to 1863. Oh, technically, technically. When Abraham Lincoln first buried a turkey that was gifted to the White House after it befriended his son. What? An, it was only made official in 1989. And he didn't like this turkey being friends with his son, so he buried it. Oh, I don't know where I had 1947 from then. I think we've still gone down a rabbit hole. A turkey, a turkey hole. hole. <laughs> I, I, think, I think really we've sort of, I think we've reached the end of the road on this. I wanted to mention Britain's loneliest sheep. Oh, yes. I mean, just because we're in the animal kingdom. Mm. Do you know about Britain's loneliest sheep? Tell me more. I think Britain's loneliest sheep was found at the bottom of a cliff, I think, mm. but was unable to get away. And then it sort of, I mean, it's quite a very strange social media thing this because it got found at the bottom of a uh, to cut a long story short cliff spotted there two years later by somebody who'd seen it two years earlier and it hadn't had a good haircut for a long time or whatever and then it got rescued by some farmers but then there were some animal people like an animal rights group yeah called animal rising yeah the these these groups never have good names I have have every sympathy. I have every sympathy with their objectives. And then there seemed to be some kind of sort of 
the whole standoff. It just, I thought it's a very odd story. I mean, I think the fact that that sheep was down there for two years doesn't reflect that well on anyone. Surely it doesn't take two years to rescue a sheep. Well, I don't think you should blame the sheep. Okay, the sheep is the innocent party. Well, I don't think that they would have known. I guess they wouldn't have known. Then how did they know it was there for two years then? It seems quite... I I mean, let's just be honest. I really like animal stories. There's been a black rhino born at a Chester Zoo today. No, what have they called it? Liberty or Bell. I don't... I don't... uh, I don't know, but... It's kind of quite sweet, actually. Do you think it's my age that I feel broody about for black rhinos? They've actually got pictures of the birth. It's like one born every minute, but for black rhinos. Have you seen... Are you watching this video? No, he's just sent it to me. Yeah. Hang on. Oh, I think it's pretty intrusive that they've filmed the birth. Hang on a second. Oh, look at that. Yes. Oh, it initially looks like a, a bad case of rhino hemorrhoids. Oh, <laughs> it's very cute. It is really cute, isn't it? It's up and going so quickly. So, so a rhino is just gambling around within hours of being born then? Yeah, apparently. Wow. You think how long it takes a human being. Even now, I'm not that steady on my 15 feet. 15 months pregnancy for the poor rhino mother. Mm. Well, 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 that was very cute, and it's very cute hearing about... Did you say the sheep was called Fiona, or have I subsequently read that? You've subsequently read that. Fiona the sheep. Yeah. I, th- I think the co- the source of conflict is the people, the farmers who rescued her want to put her into a, a petting zoo, and uh, Animal Rising, the animal rights group, want to... Um, get her into a sanctuary. Why can't everybody just get on? I know. I have to say, I'm a big animal person. I would be fine in a petting zoo. <laughs> I, d- I do. I think I'd, I'd enjoy being made a spectacle of. I'd, I'd enjoy the attention and I'd enjoy, I a, I'd enjoy I mean, not do, having to fend for myself. You and, do need a haircut, but you would not, you, you're not a candidate for the petting zoo. <laughs> <laughs> you, you and my wife are of one mind on the haircut. Thing. Yeah, honestly, I think you need a haircut. I need a haircut too, but Hey, should we cut each other's hair? No. A cheerful chopperoo. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, well, I think our time is at an end. I think really. it is. I, I'm, I'm going to enjoy uh, Sarah's um, expat Thanksgiving. Yeah, I must have had Thanksgiving in America a couple of times, and it was quite special. It is. It is a fun holiday. It is, and tell you yeah. what, it is as well. It's a nice buffer. That means that Christmas decorations and songs don't start until after Thanksgiving. Uh, uh, uh. I'm trying to get in early on my Christmas presents this year. Yeah? I've decided. Well, it, it seems to me a lot of thought went into those socks you got me from the <laughs> shop in the building you work in. I wasn't quite talking about you, actually. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. I'll see you uh, for another cheerful chattery next week. Yes, I guess we, we will. <laughs> will we? <laughs> Probably. <laughs>